Happy Friday, everyone, and welcome back to Around the Waves on KCOU 88.1 FM, Columbia, the student voice of your Missouri Tigers. I'm your host, Luke Vitalian, alongside me are my co-host, Ben Schmidt and Ryan, Ryan Walterman. And joining us today in studio is Justin Kraft. Fallas, how are we doing? I'm doing all right. I mean, I'm glad to be inside, even though my socks are soaking wet, because it's an absolute lake outside with all this rain. But better inside now that we're about to talk some sports. All right, before we get rolling, first things first, some news on Mizzou sports. Mizzou baseball was stunned by in-state rival Missouri State on Tuesday night with a three-run ninth inning that led the Bears to a 3-2 win over the Tigers. The Tigers concluded a four-game road trip that ended without a victory. Missouri returns to the friendly kind finds this evening to host the Mississippi State Bulldogs in a three-game SEC series. First pitch is scheduled for 6 o'clock Central Time. Mizzou softball captured a 9-3 victory over the St. Louis University Billikens on Wednesday to extend the Tigers' winning streak to four games. Missouri will stay in Columbia to host Texas A&M in a three-game conference series. First pitch is scheduled for 6.30 Central Time. Now, obviously, both of those games are still ongoing, but rain, we will see whether those get canceled in a doubleheader tomorrow or Sunday, but we shall see. All right, let's get going with Mizzou baseball. Obviously, the Bears shut them, uh, the Bears, they beat them 3-2, but Mizzou shut them out for eight in two-thirds innings before giving up those three runs in the ninth, bottom of the ninth with Ian Losey giving those up. Um, so, Ryan, I'll start with you. How does Mizzou baseball get back to their winning ways? Um, basically, you know, just not giving up runs late in the game. Honestly, we were talking about this beforehand, obviously, Luca, an eight and two-thirds, I believe, without giving up a single run. That's correct. And then they just give up three in the bottom of the ninth. And that you just can't do that. Steve Beezer needs to be able to, you know, just contain this bullpen situation a lot more better a lot better than he has been. Uh, it's a game where you can't lose, and now it, it just worries me heading into Missouri State for the weekend here because obviously that's a bad loss that you have heading into a big SEC tournament here. I mean, uh, SEC weekend, and I think that they're two very good teams this year. Um, they're two very balanced teams this weekend with Missouri, uh, Mississippi State and Missouri, so I think it's going to be a fun series to watch, but the bullpen is really just needs to be a lot better than you know it has been. Tony Newbeck, though, is going to be pitching today. This is his first ever start this year, so I think that's going to be really good. He's been really good out of the bullpen, 4-1, and one, and you know I'm very excited to see what happens, but I just, I'm still bummed that they lost that game against Missouri State because they had it all the way. And, you know, Luca, you talk about at the very beginning of the season, like, mm -hmm. oh, here comes the fallback. But they haven't had it yet. Hopefully we don't see it, but it tends to be the fallback happens when they start doing this towards the end of the towards the ends of games. So hopefully they don't do it against Mississippi State. But I guess we'll have to just wait and see. Well, first of all, those are the uh, champions you're talking about from last year, the Starkville, okay? Right. We understand. At the end of the day, this team stinks, okay? We knew going into this season that this team would stink. The bullpen stinks, okay? That's no surprise there, except Ian Losey. I didn't expect him to regress like this, but he has. At the end of the day, this team, no, I don't want to be disrespectful to Steve Beezer, okay? I really don't, but this dude's not the right dude for the job. He just isn't. Um, 
when you cover KOMU sports like me in mid-Missouri with these high school teams, Steve Beezer is not getting those correct dudes from the Blair Oaks, from the Southern Boons, from the Boonvilles, and, and et cetera. The, I mean, I have covered Blair Oaks three times this season. And while he does have uh, the Libert dude who struck out 18 batters the other night breaking school history, that's good and in in, fun in all games. But at the end of the day, he's not getting the hitting power that this team needs. Sure, you got Torrey Montgomery. Sure, you got Josh Day. Sure, you have Luke Mann. But at the end of the day, this dude does not have a lot of commits outside of mid-Missouri. He's not getting the St. Louis area and outside of Missouri. So this team, sure, they're above 500, but in conference play, good Lord have mercy, does this team stink. But at the end of the day, you need to be able to close the door. It's about closing time, and they did not get it done against Missouri State, and it's just a shame. Yeah, it was it was really a disappointing weekend, especially last weekend against LSU. I'm not going as far to say that Mizzou stinks, but it was certainly underwhelming. They do stink. I, I I can't. I don't think you can say a team stinks when they're six games over 500. I just I don't want to say have that. Have you seen that conference record? That's a fair. Have bet. you seen that conference record? You, they still have five wins, and it's comparable to five wins. That's okay. comparable to six other teams in the SEC. Okay, so oh, that's fair. I'm not going to go that far, but. That's fair. LSU last weekend, so Mizzou goes into that series at five and ten in the SEC, and LSU is right around five hundred at I believe seven and eight. So mm. it's somewhat comparable records, and Mizzou gets swept, and LSU looked like the far better team in multiple of those games. So that was really, really disappointing. And then to come back and have the game they did Tuesday, it's it's the type of loss that I think can send you into a downward spiral. I'm not I'm not saying that it will happen, but it's certainly I would not be shocked if we look back here in the next week or two and say that LSU series and then the Missouri State loss on top of that springboarded them into a big losing streak. I hope it doesn't happen, but you're now going to have to face Mississippi State, which is another team that is somewhat comparable as three more SEC wins and is around the same overall record. So they've got to take at least two out of three this weekend if they want to rebound, if the games even get played due to rain. I don't even know why... Beezer even left Losey in the game. I mean, Miles was already warming up, and Losey loaded the bases, despite the controversial strike call, I understand. But at the end of the day, it's like Tony LaRusso, who drives me insane how he utilizes the bullpen. I don't care who he is when he got pulled over for a DUI, but that's beside the point. The point is, Ian Losey was struggling. You got a starter in Spencer Miles. Put him in the game, and at least if you fall, you fall in the correct way. But at the end of the day, let's go to Mizzou softball. Um, once again, a dominant display of power, which uh, Kimberly Work, congratulations, earned the SEC Player of the Week honors on Tuesday. And the Tigers are back in the rankings, top 25 this week, and big contribution to their sweep against Kentucky last week, in which two were run rule victories. So big time for Mizzou softball. Um, ben, I'll start with you. With Mizzou's uh, softball sweep of the Kentucky Wildcats, do you think Missouri has turned that corner we've been expecting? I think they're starting to do it. I wouldn't say that they've turned it because it is just a four-game sample size with the winning streak, but I think it's certainly starting to happen. I mean, even if you have the one loss of Georgia by two runs last weekend, you then had the, uh, excuse me, two weekends ago, you had one win right before that in the series. So four out of their last five against the Kentucky team that coming in was looking really, really good, was a couple games over 500 in SEC play, and Mizzou was obviously a couple games under 500 in SEC play. And to have the wins that they did last weekend, it's a lot more fun to talk about them now 
now than it was the past couple episodes because they were really reeling, especially in these SEC conference games against Mississippi State, Georgia. So I think it's a lot. It's it's really good too to see that they're hitting on multiple different parts of the game in these at least the last four games. You have the runs and the pitching both at the same time because I talked about this last week. There was so much inconsistency where it's either they would score six or seven runs but give up eight or nine, or they would give up one or two runs and score nothing. So to have the wins against Kentucky thirteen to nothing in five innings, you give up seven, but they scored eight to win that one. They give up one run and scored nine at the same time, and then another big win, nine three over St. Louis. So firing on all cylinders, and it's it's going to be another tough test in this next series against. Excuse me, not this next series because Texas A&M has not been very very good this season. They're under five hundred, five and thirteen in SEC play. But then the series after that, they got three against Alabama, which right now is the second best conference record and has single digit losses on the season. So that's when I really think we'll know if they've turned the corner. I expect them to easily take the series this weekend if the games get actually played against A&M. But I'm just gonna. I, I definitely think they are starting to turn it. It would have been nice to see them do it sooner. But if you have the four games. A&M is a team that I think that they are far better than. If you find a way to sweep A&M this weekend and then take a series next Friday, Saturday, Sunday against Alabama, a really good team, that gives you a lot of confidence to finish off this regular season. Yeah, I'm going to chirp in here. I'm going to piggyback off of what Ben just said, get on the Ben train here with Mizzou softball. I think right now they're playing you know, great softball. They're you know, winning mentality. And honestly, I think they're going to keep it going. Right now they've won four straight, I think, you know, like you're saying, Ben five and thirteen, uh, Texas A&M, and they are below five hundred. So they've been struggling throughout. So this is a team that you know Mizzou needs to take advantage of over the weekend and find a way to get two out of three. But really, with all this winning, that <laughs> they they don't stink. I know you're talking about baseball stinking, but Mizzou softball does not stink, and they are showing that right now. We thought they were at the down spiral and they're kind of playing mediocre, but right now they've definitely turned up in the right direction, and it's starting with the bats. Uh, Kimberly Ward batting 346, Jenna Laird 338, and Kendall Bailey 333, and then Cassidy Shaman with 376. How did you just say her last name? Shomo. Oh, Shomo. Shomo, my yeah, bad. Yeah, like yeah. Show me yeah, state. Yeah, sorry. Kinda yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. <laughs> Think of the show me yeah, state. Yeah. You got that? Yeah, my bad. I didn't mean to disrespect her there. She is batting, you know, at 376 on the She's season. She's going to roll two. in the yeah. coma, okay? Yeah, you understand I know, that? Yeah. <laughs> For real, yeah. So we'll see how they keep on doing, especially this weekend. They got to grind it out against Texas A&M, so I think they should be just fine. Okay. Well, first of all, I do not think they have turned a corner because Ben perfectly enunciated this. It's a small sample size, and I totally agree with that. And while Texas A&M is really below in conference play, they're not a bad team because they took two out of three from that Alabama team that you just mentioned. They were number two, and now they're number five. So they're not scrubs, so they actually can really play. And I will say this, Lauren Krings, Jordan Weber, Emma Nichols, whoever's going to pitch, most likely Lauren Krings because she's phenomenal. The leadoff hitter of the Aggies, Haley Lee, she is batting 452. As their leadoff hitter, they're gonna be, they're gonna have their hands full this weekend. And I think Haley Lee is a great player. She knows how to use her vision at the plate is phenomenal. Her discipline, and there, she's gonna get this Aggies lineup fueled and ready to go. I can totally see that. And then obviously the Tigers are gonna have to verse two of these pitchers, Mackenzie Harzog, and then Emily Kennedy who are absolutely ridiculous. Harzog uh, has a 1.66 ERA 
98 strikeouts and 80 and one-thirds innings pitched. And then you've got Kennedy, who is a freshman, by the way, 2.14 ERA in a team-leading 101 and one-thirds innings pitched. So this is not a team to overlook, okay? They can play. It's just that Mizzou needs to take, they need to be able to take two of three at least to stay in the rankings. They should be able to take two of three because they finished the season against Alabama and Tuscaloosa. So they got to be able to get two out of three here. Yeah, you know, I'm hoping for a sweep. Obviously, they should take two out of three, but this really is a team that they should be able to sweep. Uh, and one thing I wanted to mention is there's a, another record being broken here, and this was by Brooke Romes, oh, yeah. who actually has the she has the most uh, extra base hits in program history now with a double against Slu. So I think that's really cool. And then, like you guys been saying, you know, Kim, Kimberly Wirt has been phenomenal. phenomenal. One thing I wanted to mention, obviously, um, because talking to you about this, is mm-hmm. that Lauren came out of the bullpen um, one of the games. Yeah, so, she was finally not having to pitch six innings. Yeah, so that's a really good showing. You know, I was talking about on the show last weekend that, you know, they need to have Schumacher be able to pitch some of these games for the... Where's Emma of, Nichols? I mean, I haven't seen her in forever. Yeah, I don't know where yeah. she is. Emma Nichols, she did come out of the bullpen and she pitched a little bit. She didn't do too bad. I expect to see her a little bit more this weekend. Obviously, I guess um, not, the best mis- uh, not the best Texas A&M team. So, you know, it'll be exciting. But yeah, the Tigers here should be able to win this series. And honestly, if I'm the Missouri Tigers, if I'm Larissa Anderson, I'm telling my team, keep that same mentality you did against Slew. They didn't take them easily. They went, they did their job is to beat a team like that during a midweek contest, and that's how exactly they got to approach the Aggies. And I'm excited, too, because if if I don't know if this is this is totally out there, but it's what's expected for tomorrow's afternoon's game, the second game of the series, is former Mizzou softball coach, one of the pioneers of Mizzou softball, yeah. Alexis Jarrett, mm-hmm. is supposed to be giving a pregame speech the team so that'll be really really cool to see it's an alumni game going on tomorrow so you got to show up in, in front of some of the players that basically put this program on the map all these years ago all right we'll leave it at that uh, we're gonna head into commercial break when we're coming back from commercial break the nhl playoffs start on monday come back with us on around the waves eight kcou 88.1 fm i'm jeremy i'm jocelyn and i'm what? emily and, and we, we are curl, curl and the beard. beard you're listening to kcou columbia 88.1 fm You love them enough to do anything for them. Mom, I need to be wiped. Coming. Including checking NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to make sure they're in the right car seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Act Council. This is how we do every day. We be grinding and if you want to come and test us. If you love them enough to turn off your music. And pretend like their music is your music. Ah, this is Mommy's jam. Then surely you'll check NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to make sure they're in the right car seat. Let's play it again. Check today at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Act Council. And welcome back to Around the Waves on KCOU 88.1 FM Columbia, the student voice of your Missouri Tigers. I'm Luca Vitale alongside me, Ryan Waltzman, Ben Schmidt, and Justin Kraft. All right, NHL time. Every team has a player or players that, despite having a strong season, they don't get the recognition that they deserve. These are the less 
talkative players, less talked about players whose play has helped their team have success this season and usually play a key role in a team's quest for the Stanley Cup, that is, if they get to the Stanley Cup playoffs. Ryan, let's get going here. Which NHL player is most underappreciated or, in other words, flies under the radar? So, with my player, obviously, there was a lot of different ones that I could have chose from. But, you know, I stayed in the Central Division, and I went with Rupe Hintz. I think he's had a really good season for the Stars. Uh, you know, I mean, 25 years old, and, you know, he has, what? He uh, he showed very, very, he's been very talented as of late. I mean, you know, I just think that he's been very good. I mean, his, his stats kind of just say it for himself, obviously, you know. And I think he's putting up one of his best seasons. Uh, he's really helped the Stars get to where they are, in which that includes a playoff spot against, we don't know yet. So we'll see who they play against. But, I mean, it, just just take a look at here what Rupi Hentz has b- brought to the team. I mean, it's just been phenomenal. I mean, he's one of the big reasons why the Stars are even in, con- were even in contention uh, against the Golden Knights, and obviously the Golden Knights just really fell off there. But it was good to see the Stars get back into that contention. The Stars will make the playoffs, and I honestly think the Stars can play spoiler at some part in time this Absolutely. season. Absolutely. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you just take a look here. 71 points, I mean, 15 plus minus, and then, you know, he's playing more, He's playing up to uh, 18, 17 minutes a game where it used to be 13. So, I mean, that's a big, big step up for Rupe Hintz. I mean, he has nine play, power play goals. I mean, you know, he's just he's getting the shots on. He takes about three, four shots a game, and, you know, they're not bad shots. Where In reality, he used to take really bad shots. I believe he's on the second line. I could be wrong about that. But First and second. He okay, usually switches that's up. That's what I thought. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in reality, so in reality, he was just on that second line, but now, mm-hmm. you know, they're moving him up to the first line. Mm-hmm. So, Rupe Hintz has to be my guy. I mean, you know... <laughs> There's a lot of good teams, a lot of good players here that could have been chosen. But when you hear Dallas Stars, you don't think Rupee Hints. No. You know? So no. that's why I went with Rupee Hints. First of all, great answer. Congratulations. <laughs> you got a question right. Justin, I, wa- I want to hear this. Tell me. All right. Well, I'm going <laughs> to agree with Ryan. I do like the uh, Dallas Stars. Hey, like they say, everything's bigger and better in Texas. And I think the they- Stars have something to look out for. Well, I think the other teams have something to look out for when it okay. comes to the Stars in the West. Okay. So. Hey, and they did play um, the Tampa Bay Lightning right in the 2020 uh, Stanley Cup Finals that one year, and they did lose in five. Am I right? You mean they played they played uh, Montreal last year? Oh, He's talking okay, about yeah. the COVID year. Yeah, oh, the, the COVID, COVID year. year. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. yeah, the COVID year. Yeah, yeah. Dallas. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, With, hey, and Hudobin, yeah. Yeah, they definitely can make another run, in my opinion. So, Well, you don't even have a player. Man. Okay. <laughs> well, first of all, on the sorry, Dallas— I, I don't know much when it comes to the oh, Dallas man. Stars. You know, I you just— know, you gotta. You, you're from Dallas, yeah. aren't you? Well, no, I'm from the Houston area. Oh my but lord! I'm like Same three, state. Three and a half hours from Dallas. Oh you know? my, my so, yeah, bad. Yeah. My bad about like ge- geographic yeah. areas. <laughs> First of all, uh, my player absence happens to be on the same team as yours, and that would be Jason Robertson. Um, this dude is just a scoring machine. It's been constant all season. Consistently been one of the best players for Dallas this year, and he's a key part of that top line that has dragged the Stars into playoff contention. This team can do damage, like you said, whether they play Colorado or whether they play Calgary, which we'll find out at the end of tonight. But Robertson has 40 goals this season, which leads the Stars 
And that enters today 15th in goal scoring in the National Hockey League. I don't think anyone would have guessed that this dude named Jason Robertson would be here. His goal scoring abilities are top notch. His ability to slow plays down and having that big opportunity and being able, to, but not being able to just slow it down, but judging all of that in a split second is what makes him such a gifted goal scorer. In if you did not know this, he's quietly having one of the best seasons in Stars history and one of the best starts to a career in NHL history. His 40 goals in a season have only been done by three other players in Dallas Stars history. That would be Mike Madonna, Jamie Benn, and Tyler Seguin. Only two of those are on the team right now. Mike Madonna, he's been gone for a long time, but that's no here or there. He's two points away from hitting 80 points, which has only been done by six Dallas Stars before. Madonna, Ben, Seguin, uh, Russ, Cortnell, and I believe the other one is Mike Ribeiro, and Brad Richards is the other one. But he has scored 17% of the Stars' goals this season. 17%. That's ridiculous. Which is the fifth highest mark among teams currently in the playoff spot. So that's phenomenal. This dude can play. This dude can generate opportunities for veterans like Jason Spezza, Tyler Seguin, etc. And he's doing it on a team that truly needs his production to make the playoffs. Dallas is a defense. They're a defense first team. Mira Haskinen, uh, John Klingberg, and obviously you got goalies and Jake Ottinger and uh, Brayton Holpe, who's been hurt, but they got Scott Wedgwood in there now. But this is a team that needs to, they need they need uh, production from those young guys like Jason Robertson and like Ruby Hintz, like you said, before they're up for a contract. But if you do not know this, I found this last night. It's 100% true. The start of his career is on par with this generation's best players. Crosby, Melkin, Matthews, McDavid, Ovechkin. This dude is scary. He's flung under the radar. This dude's getting a payday sooner rather than later. And this is why Dallas is in the playoff spot and I think they're going to spoil someone's party if they if they get hot. No, I, I definitely agree with them being a sleeper team in this uh, NHL playoffs. I mean, even if they get Colorado, you know, even if they get, I think, was it, was it Montreal? Yeah, no, Calgary, Calgary. Mm-hmm. Even if they get Calgary, I mean, they can they can honestly give both of those teams a fight. And I love that you picked Robertson because he's on the same line as Hintz and Pavelski. So yeah. the Stars are going to be a really good, sleepy, t- scary team in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, when you look at them, which we'll talk more about in depth about this tomorrow, um, whether they play Colorado or Calgary, I have them winning at least two games. That's how good this team is. But let's move on. Nothing gets NHL fans going like a good debate on awards. And this year, no different. The battle for the NHL's version of the MVP, which is called the Hart Trophy, looks pretty fierce. Ryan, I'm really curious what you have to say for this. Who's your Hart Trophy winner? I honestly think there's only one man that really sticks out here. I mean, they're all very good. Obviously, uh-huh. I think, okay, I shouldn't say one man, but I, I think say. there's two people okay. that will be. There's really three, but go on. Well, okay, so my pick is Austin Matthews, okay. but I do believe Connor McDavid will also give him a fight as well. And for your third, I'm just going to pull out on a slim. Is it going to, is it Igor Sestokin, your third? Um. Well, first of all, Austin Matthews, phenomenal player. Yep. And there's a lot of stake for him in this postseason. A lot. But I do not have Connor McDavid. I don't have Johnny Gaudreau. It is Igor Shosturkin. Okay, so that is your third. Okay. It is Igor Shosturkin. Hey, let me, yeah, let me get back to you on that. I just uh-huh. want to talk about Austin. Obviously, sure. leads the league in goals 60. Mm-hmm. I think he's fifth in points right now at 106. Mm-hmm. 
he's been, just been phenomenal, and I don't I don't think the trophy case, uh, the Hart Trophy, you know, I don't think that counts for playoffs. No. Um, so you know, if they are to, uh, you know, yeah, this is strictly regular again. season. <laughs> yeah, if they are to choke again, um, he's just had a beautiful, beautiful season. You know, Austin Matthews has always been just one of those top notch players, and you know, this year he's really showing it. He shows it every year, mm. but I mean, he's playing on on the same type of style like Connor McDavid is, and they're both up there right now for the Hart Trophy, and I love. That you picked Iger because goalies usually don't win this, and he has been phenomenal to watch this year for the Rangers. And the Rangers, I think, will have a decent chance to go pretty far in this playoffs if he keeps playing the way he has. Well, first of all, the last I believe the last uh, goalie to win the Hart Trophy was Carey Price, and Igor Shesterkin is a very scary goaltender. And the reason he's scary is because this year the Nets were expanded a little bit, and Igor Shesterkin is posting right now the ninth all-time best save percentage in NHL history, which is .935. This dude is ridiculously good, and when he hit a rough patch in March, he rebounded right back. The New York Rangers, the Hart Trophy is basically a trophy that the basically the player on that team, they wouldn't be in a playoff situation without them. The New York Rangers are not a playoff team without Igor Shosturkin. It is not even close. This is a rebuilding team. They got pieces. Artemi Panarin, you got Ryan Strom, Mika Zibanejad. You got all these guys that can play efficiently on the ice. There is no doubt about it. You got Adam Fox. You got Heedle on the defensive side. We get that. But at the end of the day, the New York Rangers would not have the record they do right now, and they damn sure wouldn't be a contender for the Stanley Cup this season if it were not for Igor Shosturkin in his MVP caliber play. There are so many things that are setting Shosturkin apart from other goaltenders in the lead, and it is especially impressive considering he is so young and it's this early in his career. His skating, his puck skills, they're exemplary. His movements, they're sharp, they're calculated. And his skills against breakaways and the odd man rushes are second to none. There is nobody goaltending right now in this league that is not even close to this right now. All this has been translating to the best goaltending that has been seen in the history, in my opinion, in the National Hockey League. We have never seen anything like this. Go back to the 1980s with those dudes. Go back to Martin Brodeur. That's fine. But this dude is hovering around the ninth all-time best for save percentage at 93.5 or 0.9. Three, five. Like I said, Martin Brodeur had a defense. Igor Shosturkin does not. So he obviously he controls the game better than most goalies in the league. He handles the puck like a player. He's almost basically a third defenseman out there because the New York Rangers don't play defense. But it is ridiculous what he does, how he's able to basically control the puck, how he's able to not have sloppy movement within the crease. He sparks the offense when he has those length of the ice passes. And I will say this, Ryan. Igor Shosturkin's Vesna winning candidate, uh, I believe he's the Vesna as well. It is very comparable to Henrik Lundqvist. It is very comparable. You look at this right now. 62 games, who I call the king. He was 39-18 with a 1.97 goals against average. Igor Shosturkin, 53 games a season, 36-14 and 14 with a 2.0 goals against average. That is ridiculous. This dude has been insane. He is winning. It is clear he's winning the Vesna Trophy. I don't care if people have anything to say with Freddie Anderson, Jacob Markstrom, Jack Campbell. Damn, starting that conversation anymore. Vili Huso, he's been good, but it ain't as good as Igor Shosturkin because the Blues, they do play defense. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, 
that's that Russian heritage coming out right there of Ikushi Shokin. Let's be honest. No, I'm just kidding. He's just been phenomenal. I mean, obviously, 51 and 24, they're going to finish second in the Metropolitan. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the last time the Rangers even came close to finishing first or second in the play- in the division. Maybe when they had the King, I'm assuming. It's that's been a probably, while. Yeah, it's just been a while. It's been a while. So, obviously, that just shows what Shostokin has done. And I love the way you put it. Obviously, the Hart Trophy is something that someone gives to someone who's really bringing their team into contention. Mm-hmm. And you're exactly right. Rangers would nowhere, wouldn't be anywhere close to that record wouldn't even be in the playoffs no. and you know that's the thing that you know NHL fans be watching tonight because by I would say midnight the Rangers will have their opponent for the playoffs and it's going to be good and I'm very excited and I think it's going to be the Penguins if I had to guess right now um, but I will say this there is absolutely no disrespect what I'm saying about Austin Matthews that dude is phenomenal when Patrick Kane retires he will be known as the best American born NHL player who ever lived but then when Austin Matthews retires, he will be the best NHL American-born player who has ever lived. He is phenomenal. He's a talent that we have never seen before, along with Connor McDavid. Sure, you could put Johnny Gaudreau and Jonathan Huberto in this Hart Trophy conversation, too. That's fine. But I just it is either Matthews or Igor Sesterkin. It is not even close to the rest of the players, in my opinion. Justin, do you have a Hart Trophy winning candidate? Let's see if you have to say anything about this. Come on, say a name. Say a name. I want to hear this. Because the Pittsburgh Penguins are a dark horse this year, correct? Sidney Crosby. Sidney Crosby. Hey, I, I was honestly just about to say Sidney Crosby. No, no, Thank no. you for taking those words out of oh my mouth, Ryan. Oh, my Lord. Hey, I'm just saying the East is really wide open. Are you a Penguins fan? Okay. No, I'm not a Penguins fan. Are you sure about that? No. Because they're going I, home. I'm not a no. Penguins fan. Hey, I'm just saying this East wide open. Yes, the Panthers are the best team in the NHL okay, this that's fine. year. Yep. But honestly... Team with the most pressure, Maple Leafs, after they completely tanked, fell off last year in the playoffs. That was um, way worse than a tank job. Yeah, I know, honestly. <laughs> Ship was definitely sinking for sure there last year in the playoffs. But, yeah, honestly, wide open. And, hey, the Penguins, if they do have to play the Rangers in the first round, that's going to definitely go seven, I'm just going to say. What? So that, oh, that's going to be a series you're going we'll to definitely want to tune in to watch we, we, got all, we got an hour for this tomorrow. But, Ben, let's get going here for your NBA segment. Obviously, the top-seeded Phoenix Suns were in some danger with Devin Booker Hurt, who returned last night and played 30-plus minutes with a rising Pelicans team giving them some problems. But Chris Paul delivered a signature series performance, including the best shooting game of his career to finish out the Pelicans. 115-109 victory over New Orleans last night. Phoenix eliminated the Pelicans and will advance to the next round. So, Ben, what did you learn about the Phoenix Suns within this Pelicans series? This is this is really, really interesting because I don't want to completely overreact to this, but I think it definitely tells you something because it was a very good feel-good story with the Pelicans, the way they started. I believe they started the season 3-15, and 15, yep. and then to get into the playoffs, I know it was because of the play-in, but they still got in and really gave the Pelicans a run for their money in every game outside of Game 1. They got blown out in Game 1, but every other game outside of that was pretty close. I Dallas, I think we can all agree, is a far and away better team than New Orleans. I like Brandon Ingram a lot, but he's no Luka Doncic. Jalen Brunson has been incredible, and there's other pieces on that Dallas team too. I don't, I like I said again, I don't want to overreact, but the fact that even in, in in game two, where the game where Booker got hurt, and then they the Pelicans won that game, and then last night where Booker's back and he's not at 100% full strength, but. Even with Chris Paul shooting a perfect 14 for 14 and stuff like that going the Suns' way, the Pelicans were still leading that game heading into the fourth quarter and played with them all the way to the end. And there were some very alarming things in that series. And you look at the series that Brandon Ingram had with four, with 21 points and 11 assists last night. There were some really good games, too, out of McCollum. So 
if you look at Dallas in the next round and then potentially beyond, because I do think Phoenix will beat Dallas, if you're going to have to go up, I think, against Golden State, who is absolutely rolling right now, it leads me to kind of lean in the way that I think Golden State, in, in my eyes, is the best team in the West right now. Uh, if, if you look at the other side of the bracket, Golden State is going to face either Memphis or Minnesota. Most likely Memphis, although I think Minnesota forces a Game 7. Golden State, I think, wins that series and rides into the Western Conference Finals really hot. And I know Phoenix could completely flip the switch here and blow out Dallas and win in 4 or 5. But I think I would have to kind of lead Golden State there. I like Phoenix, and Booker obviously is going to be much more healthier as the series goes on. And he's not going to have, I think it was 5 for 13 or whatever it was last night. He's obviously going to shoot much better than that. And he clearly was not 100%, but he's back because it was a closeout game. It's still, I, I like what I see out of the Warriors and the Suns. They're going to have to put it back together a little bit. I don't want to discredit the the great regular season they had because they were far the way the best team in the NBA throughout the regular season and a very, very popular pick to at the very least make it to the NBA Finals. And they did have success too against the top teams in the West like Memphis and Golden State. So all those things still make it very hard to pick against Phoenix. But right now, I think there is definitely something to be said for the fact that Golden State is very hot. Jordan Poole has been spectacular. Jordan Poole is my pick for most improved player of the year, but it went to John Morant. And I think that's going to really come up to hurt Phoenix when they get to that series. I love Devin Booker, but what what really scares me about Phoenix is when Devin Booker missed those games, I didn't see someone else step up and be a dominant scorer. And I think that's alarming because with Golden State— you can have three different guys taking the big time shot and could go off for 30, 40 any night in Steph, Clay, and now Jordan Poole, who has ascended to that elite level. With Phoenix, there are games where Chris Paul does turn it on and had the 14 for 14 night last night. But Chris Paul said it himself in one of his post-game press conferences. There's a lot of times where he is just managing the game. He's not that that dominant scorer like he once was night in and night out. So if Golden State they can have they can afford to have one of their guards have an off night and have someone else pick it up. With Phoenix, I don't necessarily know against an elite-tier team potentially in the next round. If, if if Devin Booker has an off night, based on what I saw in round one, how much am I going to depend on someone else to step up? I like the talent that they have there with Aiden, and they've certainly done it other points throughout the season because there was certainly times where Booker missed games and they stepped up. But I think it's a different circumstance here come playoff against a team that's rolling momentum. We've seen it time and time again how much it matters in the NBA playoffs. So... That's kind of where I'm at, more looking at it from the standpoint of I would have liked to see someone step up more in those games that Booker missed to give me some confidence that with even if you look at what the other teams, not just Golden State, with Memphis, if John Moran has, uh, uh, has an off night, um, I believe it's Darren Bain, I can't remember off the top of my head, but almost part of Darren Bain, has had great series so far. Steven Adams in the middle has been a force, and I'm not saying he's not an elite guard scorer, but still he's been a force at certain points. With Dallas, it's Luka, and if Luka has an off night, it's Jalen Brunson. So there's certainly one to two stars on these other teams. Uh, not to, not to call Steven Adams a star, but his name just popped into my head a second ago. So that's that's my takeaway from this Phoenix series. Here's a takeaway. I'm going to ask Justin this question because I want to know his take on this. What happened with the Brooklyn Nets? <laughs> well, they completely just flopped, that's for sure, in the first round. Everyone thought that was going to be the most anticipated, you know, uh, matchup for the first ridiculous. round. Yeah, and everyone thought that, oh, yeah, Boston coming in the two-seed in the East – but Brooklyn, you know, with Kyrie and KD, everyone thought, oh, this was definitely going to go seven. But Boston showed why they are the best team in the East right now. Still, my pick is the Sixers. But Boston showed why, <laughs> like I said, they're the best team in the East. Definitely uh, one of the best teams defensively in the top five this you know season. 
And really, I think that series is going to be... It, it's weird to think that that's the second-round matchup with Milwaukee and Boston because really that could be the Eastern Conference Finals. But that's going to be an anticipated matchup in the next round. And that could go six or seven. And I think Boston will get it done. But I, I kind of want to... Take a little hot take at Ben, you know, saying about the Warriors. I know the Warriors are great and all. Mm-hmm. I think Jordan Poole for sure definitely is one of those players that has the ability of winning that award, the most improved. But I'm going to give it to Jalen Brunson. I think Dallas is a team that could be sneaky. They're going to play around with the Suns. I think the Suns still get it done. They're my team to come out of the West. But like you were saying, if, you know, good old Luka Doncic isn't on, which he did have 24 points last night. He played pretty well. But the other guys that stepped up and the reason why they won that game was because of Jalen Brunson down the stretch ever since he's, you know, came into the league from what he did in, at Villanova. He's just been spectacular. And then the other guys, you got to look out for Finney Smith and Dinwiddie. Like, the way Dallas shoots from behind the arc is going to give Phoenix some trouble. But I think when Golden State does beat the Warriors and, I mean, Golden, Golden State yeah, beats the Suns, go. my bad. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> When the Suns match up with the Warriors after the Warriors beat the Grizzlies, uh, it's going to be a very, you know, much anticipated Western Conference Finals. But I think, you know, the Warriors play best when they play small ball and they don't have a big guy and they play Draymond Green at the five. I think the Suns are just going to, you know, they got eaten. So I think it's going to be a tough matchup for Draymond Green. I think the Warriors are going to struggle. I could see, you know, that honestly... If the Suns find a way, they could beat they could beat the Warriors in five. Okay, I do want to ask this for Ryan. Do you think the Utah Jazz should break it up? Um, I honestly, I'm not the basketball guy here to ask, but I mean, I don't know how many series does that end up going. I think what is it, Ben three? Oh, is it series? still going on? No, I, no, it ended. No, in no, six. no, no. What I mean is how many times they fall like this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, That's what I'm asking. I think it's been three years now, right? It's been more than three years, okay. but it's been it's been two to three years where they were expected to okay. compete at this level. They had a couple sure. of series when when Donovan Mitchell was ascending and Gobert was kind of established where they were a good team, good enough to make the playoffs and make noise. But I don't think anyone was expecting them to compete for a title. Okay. It's now been. I mean, last season they were the number one seed, wasn't the bubble, so they had a real home court advantage and lost to the Los Angeles Clippers in that series. And then this year was once again not a contender, but still a good enough team to advance at least a round or two, and then now lose again. So so I, I know you asked this, Ryan, but I personally think you have to at least look into it because Mike Conley is not a third star, and you need a third star, at least a, a legitimate third good player in this league, and Mike Conley is not is not it. He he certainly looks past the prime of his career like he was in Memphis all those years ago. So I, I like what you have in Donovan Mitchell. Gobert, his potential is, is obviously near the top, but there was games last night. Gobert did not show up last night, so I think you have to at least look at it. But I want to circle way back to the Nets, Nets question that started this. <laughs> as much as you no want to put this right on Kyrie Irving and Ben Simmons, there's a lot of things that go Kevin into Durant. what made this flawed. Yeah, but He's not exonerated from this. No, there's and it's more than just that. It starts all the way back to with the James Harden trade, them mm-hmm. kind of being forced into making that deal to get a third star. You look at what they gave up. They gave up first-round picks that Karis are still LeVert. a freshman year in high school. Karis LeVert's a really good player. Allen yeah, and so, the Prince dude. Yeah, no, I mean, Jared Allen, they didn't have any big man presence in the playoffs. There's that. You look at the fact that because they needed to win all these games to solidify themselves at the end of the season, if you look at minutes played last month in April, the end of the regular season, top of the league was Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. There's a couple guys close, but it's, it's them two at the top of the league. So I'd like to think maybe some fatigue played a factor into that. I think the expectations were too high. 
there's a lot of things with the Nets that went into it. It's not just one thing. Certainly having Ben Simmons would have helped. And I think they were kind of forced in and out giving away James Harden at the deadline. So I don't blame that as much, that deal specifically. But it's certainly different if you just never make that trade in the first place last year. Because like you said, you still have Karis Silver. You have Jared Allen, who I think is even more important than Karis Silver. And you potentially still have some draft picks to then move in other deals that they could have supplemented the roster. So it was just too heavily reliant on two players. Another thing, too, is... As much as the, the Nets wanted to chant we want Boston and all that stuff, it was probably the worst matchup for them in this first round just because of Boston's defensive presence and how well they were to contest Kevin Durant, a guy who can create his own shot and create separation, even when there is a guy in his face. And Boston was really, really good at presenting, preventing that. And that's why we saw Kevin Durant have such awful efficiency shooting games. So it was just kind of a bunch of things that stockpiled on top of each other. Ben Simmons repeatedly not playing and dressing the way he did on the bench certainly didn't help the situation, elevated it to the front of the news, but there was certainly a, a, a mountain of dirt underneath the surface that kind of contributed to this, this collapse, this downfall. And it'll be a very, very interesting offseason now for the Nets because they're stuck. Kyrie Irving, if they want to keep him around, he's most likely going to have to get the five-year max contract. I wouldn't do it. He's not worth it. Yeah, and he said he's committed to playing with Kevin Durant. He said that in Boston. Yeah, so it's... They're in a very, very tough spot. And if you listen to Kyrie's press conference the other day, was talking about how him and Kevin are going to figure out where to take this organization that next. That was and the best thing. You know why? Yeah. What makes them think they should steer this franchise? Yeah, well, Kevin, they, they brought it down to rock bottom. That's yeah, what they've done. Kyrie Irving is a very talented player, but he's not the one in the front office he takes running the, the he show. He takes days off, too. Don't yeah, forget about so, takes days off of work. I yeah. mean, it's, it's a very, very interesting team to look at. And it's going to certainly... Whether they win it next year and figure it out or just completely collapse altogether, it is going to be a, a story that is talked about for decades. Well, that's fine with me. I don't like the Brooklyn Nets, so yeah. that's totally fine with me. They don't have any leadership. Hey, it's one big toxic relationship. You know? <laughs> yeah. If they want to be you know, the next Bachelor and Bachelorette, they definitely can. That's not a too, bad reference. <laughs> one last thing that I didn't even go about, too, that sure. I just, just forget, remembered. The Steve Nash thing, and I think Steve Nash mm, can be a good yeah. coach in his league, but if you look at a lot of the very good championship-winning coaches, they were on the bench under a different coach for years and learned and saw it operated. Steve Nash came right on the scene straight to head coach. I mean, you can look at certain assistants. It took them a couple years to figure it out. Spolstra didn't win in the first year, and now he's regarded as one of the best. The Celtics, who new coach, I can't remember off the top of my head. I apologize. He learned Udoku? under Brad Stevens a couple of years. Yes. There's plenty of examples. Even Boonholzer, who learned under Popovich, he didn't win with Milwaukee till year four or five. And now they're expecting Steve Nash to come in out of the blue with no coaching experience on the bench. He's a very smart guy and can make it work. But I would have liked I, – I, I don't think he deserves a lot of the blame because – I don't think he was. I think he was in over his head. It was certainly a coaching mismatch throughout the series. His players didn't do him any favors, but and he had a lot to deal with. But that that is certainly a part two when they probably missed. I like if they had brought Steve Nash in in an assistant role, if he was even willing to take that. But it's certainly something to talk about because. It, I, I, it is his fault, but it isn't his fault because he didn't sign up for all the drama, and he was just. It was always going to be a coaching mismatch. All right, we'll leave it at that. Coming up after commercial break, the NFL draft happened last night. Some initial reactions to what exactly was the most surprising draft pick up next on KCOU 88.1 FM. If you love them enough to sit through their favorite boy band with them, then surely you'll check NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to make sure they're correctly buckled in the back seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ag Council. 
ranger station. I'd like to report a bear hug. Okay. I put out my campfire and Smokey Bear hugged me. So you drowned the fire, you stirred it, drowned it again, and felt that it was cold? Uh-huh. Yeah, he's just letting you know you did good. Bear hug from Smokey Bear. Status update! I'm gonna let you go now. There are many ways to start a fire, but one sure way to put it out. Learn how you can do your part at SmokeyBear.com. Sponsored by the U.S. Forest Service Ad Council and your state forester. Jesse is a friend. And welcome back to Around the Waves on KCOU 88.1 FM Columbia, the student voice of your Missouri Tigers. I'm Luca Vitale alongside me, Ryan Walterman, Benjamin, and Justin Kraft. Let's move on to the NFL, the glitz and glamour of Las Vegas aside. The 2022 NFL Draft became only the sixth time that a quarterback didn't go number one overall. A quarterback didn't even hear his name called until the 20 overall pick, which was Kenny Pickett, which is the lowest since 1997. So, Justin, I'll actually start with you here. Which selection from last night's NFL draft surprised you the most i'd say for me which selection really like surprised me was uh jacksonville going for trayvon walker as a first pick i thought they were really going to go and get aiden hutchinson which aiden hutchinson was picked next to detroit but i think that was definitely a steal for the jaguars that could have gone either way this guy is a threat to be reckoned with six five two hundred seventy two pounds uh, it's 40-yard dash, 4.51. That's pretty fast off the line, especially for a DN, and he's going to be a force to be reckoned with, something Jacksonville is definitely going to like. Yeah, I, I that one was surprising me more the last couple of days ago because I feel like that did start getting dropped more and more, and it was very funny because there was it, it happens every year where someone just stock just completely rise as we get into combine season. And it happened once again this year with, with Trayvon Walker, a guy who was fantastic on the Georgia defense that was arguably one of the best college defenses of all time, but I don't think was necessarily a number one pick. It felt like for a long time there, the discussion was between Thibodeau and Aiden Hutchinson for number one, and then Trayvon Walker comes up like the fast riser. If you look in previous drafts, it always seems to happen where, where someone pops up well after the college season had ended. So that was certainly a surprise. What was very interesting to me and what I'm going to talk about here is the Detroit Lions, who I think made a very good move, coming all the way up to 12 to snag Jamison Williams. Mm -hmm. They were at 32. They had the two picks. The 32 pick came from the Rams. They move up 20 spots in, in, in that trade that they made. They move up 20 spots. They gave up their pick at 34 but then grab another in 46 and give up their 66. So not bad whatsoever to come all the way up and add a Jamison Williams. I like him as the best receiver in the draft. I think the thing that was preventing that was the ACL injury in the national championship. But, man, the speed that he possesses over the top, the only reason he even left Ohio State is because Ohio State had three great receivers of their own, and he went to be the alpha, the number one at Alabama. What he did to the SEC all season long I thought was incredible. Over the top, underneath with the ball in his hands. He can do it multiple different ways because he's so fast. And he is going to very much help a Detroit Lions team that is kind of looking to take the next step. This definitely takes him out of the Debo running like you were saying last week, Ryan. But still, you add Jamison Williams now to an offense with there's certainly talent there. Is Jared Goff the long-term answer? Don't think so. Hell no. But look all around the rest of the offense. You have in the backfield Swift and Jamal Williams. Wide receivers now have Jamison Williams. Amon Ross St. Brown was really good last year. Now you have him as the number two. And DJ Chark, who I forgot that they even signed until last night, who has put up some numbers in Jacksonville. TJ Hawkinson at tight end. So there are certainly players there. And now if they can just kind of 
figure out what they're going to do with Goff or maybe get a young guy to sit behind Goff and take over in the future. There's certainly a, a, a plan there now, and you have Jamison Williams over the top, Amonra underneath in the short routes. It's There's certainly what looks like the making of a future really good offense. I was not expecting it. I honestly really, really thought that they were going to make the Hutchinson pick, hit the home run there at two, and then at number 32, you were either going to see them take a quarterback to sit and get that fifth-year option or trade out so someone else can take a quarterback. I didn't expect the Lions to move back up, so that's what surprised me so much, especially come up 20 spots. But I think with the Saints taking Olave, what they did at 11, I think it really opened the door now for, I, I would have to assume that Jamison was their guy all the way. So when they saw him sitting there at 12, called up the Vikings, moved all the way up. So I was surprised, and I think we're going to look back, and that's going to be a really nice move for Detroit in the long term. First of all, I'm very excited for the Detroit Lions fans. After all, it's been misery since Matthew Stafford's been gone. Even with Matthew Stafford, it was miserable. But I cannot believe you did not use the word DeAndre Swift. Did you forget about DeAndre Swift? Oh, I talked about Swift. He, Swift and Williams in the backfield. Dove, you, I didn't hear that part. I, I will bet my life that I said DeAndre Swift. I'll, I'll go back and listen. I got the tape. But <laughs> regardless of the situation, um, I was more surprised with uh, Houston selecting Kenyon Green. I was really surprised. The reason I say that, um, I do want to acknowledge that Nick Casario, Casario did a good job securing extra assets for a two-spot drop in the first round. I think that was a really good idea, in my opinion. The problem is the Texans used a 15 pick to select a guard that would have been available 10 picks later. I don't think he would have been picked, in my opinion. I mean, don't get me wrong. He's a solid player that should be an impact player for Houston for day one because there's nobody even on that team, really. And it's yet another sign that the Texans simply don't understand the value of their draft pick assets. They simply just do not understand. And I don't understand it either. But if the offensive line was such a big issue for Houston, they could have taken offensive tackle Trevor Penning instead, giving them a potential start at the right tackle that is more valuable than a guard, in my opinion. So they could have even tried to trade down again, getting more valuable assets later in the draft, or even simply just taking green later. But they're going to have a lot of issues moving forward, Houston. Okay, Davis Mills ain't a starting quarterback. Okay, We all understand that. This team stinks. They're going to stink. But... The thing is, why would you take a guard at number 15 when you could have taken a tackle or traded back again in getting more future assets as you try to build Houston up from the ground again? I just didn't understand it. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I just didn't know enough about the player in general to make a fair judgment on this. And I think for a team in, in Houston that needs so many different skill position players, I think that's what makes it a little bit more shocking. It's just going to mainly... He would have to have a really, really good first couple of seasons to make this pick worth it. And he does have versatility, but it is it is certainly an interesting pick. You know, I'm going to say, like, he does have an athletic pro, uh, profile. He also has experience to start at guard and tackle. But at the same time, he wrestles a way too much. If you saw him at AMM, I mean, I saw him a couple of games last year. He, he takes a lot of holding penalties, and that could really basically make Texas their O-line, or excuse me, Houston, their O-line very susceptible to penalties. And especially when you're a rookie at this time of age, you're going to get a lot of penalties. You're going to be get caught jumping off sides. So I feel like they could have just done it because they, they were reaching for this pick. I'm not saying it's a bad pick, but it's just reaching a little too much for me. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'll give my two cents here. I don't really follow the draft as much as you guys do, but as a Packers fan, I'll just talk about the picks that they made. Obviously, everyone asked me, hey, how do you feel about not drafting a wide receiver? 
yeah, it sucks. Would have liked that draft. Would have liked to have a trade or something so we could have had a nice trade coming up in the earlier rounds. But obviously they went defensive heavy, which I'm not mad about because Kenny Clark needs some help. Rashawn Gary's going to need some help as well. So now they got a big left back from Georgia. And don't worry because they only they didn't get just they didn't just get one bulldog. They got another bulldog as well. So they got two Georgia guys in the first round. Uh, I really like Devontae Wyatt. I think that was a really good pick for them at what they could have had there. And, um, you know, defense wins championships. It's like Roger said, which was a very hypocritical comment from him. Um, we shouldn't be listening to Aaron <laughs> Rodgers. That's the right. thing. Yeah. But he's not credible. But, I mean, I'm excited for tonight's draft to see, see what happens, you know. Um, if I had to take a guess, I think the Packers are going to get a wide receiver sometime within the three picks. Um, you know, you, you, th- you, think, you think about Devontae Adams. He was a second-round pick, and look how he turned out. So a lot of the Packers usually draft wide receivers in the second round. So I'm not mad. I trust the management, and we'll just have to see what happens from there. All right. Um, because we have, like, a couple more minutes, I do want you guys to answer this really quickly. Um, so for MLB-wise, we've had a couple of series already. The Cubs stink. What a shock. The Reds are a dumpster fire. What a shock. The MLB is a little too predictable on my eyes. But who's the most surprising team this far? We'll do analysis next week. For me, it's the New York Mets. I knew they were going to be good. I just They always tend to let their fans down when they have high expectations. I know it's early, but they're 14-6, and six, most wins in the MLB. So to come out the gate like this, I think is most surprising because especially with the DeGrom injury, wasn't expecting to, them to ascend this fast. They haven't played a lot of great teams yet, but they still look good. Yeah, this one, you know, it's uh, I'm going to go Minnesota Twins, but I don't like having that pick because the AL Central has been bad to start off the season. I mean, <coughs> you, got, yeah, you got the White Sox, you got the Royals, you got the Guardians and the Tigers, and I thought the Guardians were going to be something special. You know, Ben was on here talking about Stephen Kwan not but two weeks ago, and now they've kind of just, you know, they're falling down, but it's a long season. So I'm going to go Twins right now. Obviously, that's going to change. Justin, what about you? Ryan, you stole mine. <laughs> I like the Twins, especially the way they're playing. They've won seven straight now after being, yeah, three and eight early through 11 games. I think the Twins are definitely going to win the Central. The Central is definitely the worst division in all of baseball this year, but I'll go for the Twins, especially with Correa. Really, really quick, too. That Los Angeles Angels, who I don't think oh, anyone yeah. is really looking at in the West. You had Houston, and then everyone else expected Seattle to take a step forward. Yeah. But the Angels, a team who has let down Mike Trout, at least for the last couple years of his career, getting him no pitching. I know they've been hurt by injuries in these last years, but now they do have some pitching. They have hitters in the lineup around Trout, and they look off to a really good start. I think the Syndergaard, I believe it's just a one-year deal. Maybe they lock him up for long term after this year, but he's looked really, really good so far, and they're off to a hot start. just want to make it very clear to you. It's the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. You gotta, you gotta say all of it. The whole title. It's just, it's so, it's an outlier from the other names. The you always, Angels yep. of Anaheim. That's what you gotta say. But, um, for NHL playoffs starting Monday, we have a whole show tomorrow at uh, at noon for a whole hour of the NHL playoffs where we are going to break down each series. So be sure to tune in for that on KCOU 88.1 FM. It's going to be me, Ryan, Justin will be here hosting it, and Wilson Trong will join in as I destroy him for every series that he takes. All right. At the end of the day, everyone, thanks for joining in for KCOU 88.1 FM around the waves, and we will see you next week. 